0: Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people, with news, views and expert interviews.
1: Hello and welcome to Constructive Voices. I'm Steve Randall and this episode is being published on International Women's Day 2022. So, we'll be hearing from Farah Naz, award-winning climate change strategist and author.
0: If we look at the industry, there are women who are leading change. There are women who are doing project management work and construction work. The Industry has an image, but that Image is actually built by humans.
1: Farah will be talking with Henry McDonald about what we all need to do to address gender bias in the construction industry and how we can look at gender diversity as an opportunity instead of a problem to solve.
0: Constructive Voices Media Partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused
2: on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland.
1: Peter Finn, Pete the Builder, is here too, of course. How's things, Pete? Good, Steve. How are you keeping my man? Yep, I'm all good, thank you. Uh, Now, we're talking in this episode about the role of women in the construction industry. And a World Economic Forum report published last year, considered how we're doing, not just in construction, but across society, in gender parity. Now, they look at this across four key areas, including economic opportunities, education, health, and political leadership. And on its current trajectory... It found that it will take more than 135 years, 135 years, to close the gender gap worldwide. It's mind-boggling, Pete.
2: Yeah, that is that is absolutely mind-boggling. Let's be honest, we have come a long way in a lot of different aspects of life. We have addressed a lot of issues and we've addressed a lot of behaviours that have you know, just simply been unacceptable, but they have been accepted in everyday life and bias and discrimination against race or against anybody for any reason is absolutely unacceptable but when you look at the situation where there's such a gender gap being created between man and woman it's it's quite a crazy situation to think that it's still going to be another 135 years before this may possibly be corrected the, the reality of it is you know we have been living our lives as, as humans and you know i think it's fair to say there's been a, a male domination and that is changing and rightfully so this is obviously a construction podcast and when we start discussing construction we've regularly said it that we do not have enough operatives in construction and without the shadow of a doubt we do not have enough females in construction and it, that needs to change because the strength that females bring and the perspective that they bring to any situation it it, it cannot be underestimated we need help in construction in so many different ways and in so many different facets of construction you know if if we ever needed the women of the world we need them now on so many different fronts so i really do mean this when i say it let's bring it on let's let's get the ladies out out here and 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 you know give them the respect that they deserve and give them the opportunity to improve everybody's lives
1: yeah i mean we've had some brilliant women in construction on constructive voices since we started last year pete and you know they have some fresh perspectives as, as lots of people do. But, you know, there's wherever we think about differences between men and women, you know, the way that women think is brilliant in so many ways. And we need those insights in all aspects of life and in construction. You know, they, let's be honest, women make up more than half the population of the world. So they live in these buildings, they work in these buildings, they shop in these buildings. The buildings that we have, the construction that's going on around the world has to have a female perspective in there. It just has to. And the whole point of International Women's Day 2022 is, and they have a hashtag, of course, hashtag Break the Bias, and it's all about actively calling out gender bias and discrimination and stereotyping each time it's seen. And we have a situation where maybe girls are encouraged into science more and are interested in science more at a school level. There are various programs around the world that do that. But what we can't have is when they... Progress to the workplace that they face barriers because that's just going to put everybody off.
2: Absolutely, again, totally agree with what you've said there, Steve. um You, you mentioned that they're calling it out is what has to happen now because the only way that you're going to get action is by being proactive and actually engaging. You know, like th- this, this is definitely happening around the world in in so many different ways and in, in so many issues that that we are facing at the moment, and people are starting to call out injustice when they see it they're starting to call out basically unacceptable behaviors and we need to start doing that when it comes to to this issue i am without the shadow of a doubt 100% sure that when the parity does come and when we get to a point where people can actually fully sit down on a level field where everybody's contribution is accepted the same there's no doubt about it it will be for the better for everything every walk of life every situation it's and it definitely in construction. I, I have this perspective. I really do. Um, I don't mind saying that. There are definitely a lot of people out there, a lot of men out there that probably don't have that perspective. They are, are would much rather plow ahead with <laughs> out too many people's um, contributions because they get to get their own end goal. We have to call that stuff out and we have to stop that. We're living in a world where communication is so easy. We're living in, in, a, in an age when so many uh, technological advances have been made, so we need to continue and we need to finish closing this uh, ridiculously wide gap in when it comes to to, to the gender issue. So it, it's always a touchy subject, Steve. Me, me, and you, two men talking about this type of subject. I, I, I but I have to say, I don't mind standing up and, and putting my uh, tokens worth into a subject like this because I really do feel that it, it's it's a big missing link
1: in everything that we do. Okay, well, let's get to our guest straight away, and then we'll come back and talk some more, Pete good stuff let's do this so farah naz has been speaking to constructive voices journalist henry mcdonald and started by setting out her career journey
0: i am trained as a building services engineer from united states of america and then i worked in usa in boston for a few years i started working while i was a student with my professors in their companies And then, after I finished uh, my undergraduate, I went to Southeast Asia and worked there for a few years. And at that time, I got the privilege of working in Malaysia, Hong Kong, Vietnam, India, Nepal, Bangladesh, you know, all that region, which is a fantastic experience. And my role was an engineer, but more of a project manager, construction manager, that type of role, which I learned quite a bit uh, from the construction side. And after doing this for three, four years, I realized that I really want to get into sustainability and increase my knowledge and evidence-based knowledge in sustainability. Hence, I decided to attend Architectural Association in London, and I did a master's in sustainable environmental design. And for the thesis, I selected the garment factories in Bangladesh because I was fascinated by all these factories being built and unregulated and not much environmental and energy and health and well-being concern. So m- much of my work in the Southeast Asia was focused on the health and well-being of the occupants related to energy and carbon and after completing my master's, I worked in the UK for eight years and I had the privilege of working with what was then known in 2008-2009 is the first uh, zero carbon building, currently known as Crouch Hill Primary School. It's in North End. That was with pranur and Prasad Architects um, and I was working for a small company named Gifford. That was my first um, project after my master's, getting my self-acquainted with the whole idea of net zero transition and community district heating systems and modeling them, which was fantastic. After working in UK for eight years, I decided I need a new challenge. And hence I was offered the role to head innovation and sustainability for Borough Happold in the United Arab Emirates in Dubai. So I took the role and came to Dubai for two years. Now I've been here for seven and a half years. In UAE, I've been quite blessed to work on certain iconic projects like Expo 2020 Sustainability Pavilion with Grimshaw's. I headed the sustainability side from a UAE perspective. Got opportunity to work on BIA headquarters. It's a Zaha Hadid project where we did a lead platinum as well as net zero strategy. And then Museum of the Future, which is a really interesting project where we looked at decarbonization and using backup batteries and really interesting engineering systems. I work in three scales, building level, master planning level, and city level. And the second part of your question is the employment gender gap globally. So it's very interesting because I worked in US, UK, Southeast Asia, and now in Middle East. I see that there's a contextual side, there's a technical side to the gender gap. So in Middle East, there is a huge driver from the government to have 50-50 balance of male and female. So all the government entities are driving towards 45 to 50% women. And in the private sector where I work in the built environment, there is a balance of men and women both working on project management as well as architecture and engineering. And uh, interestingly, when I worked in Southeast Asia, I was working with more women who were engineers and architects, which is a very interesting balance to see. And going back to UK, where I worked for eight years, I was leading teams. And that's where I would see that a lot of women would come in the industry, but they would leave in a mid-management, mid-career level because that's when they would have a family. And it was getting really hard for them to maintain a young family and maintain a full-time job and keep the financial balance and spending time with their young family. So a choice was Made, So it's very interesting how different countries address gender gap in different professions. From my perspective, globally, there is an imbalance. And I think there's quite a bit to do who are in the industry to actually address this and retain more talent in the industry. I hope that answers your question.
3: Oh, it does. And you've given me a global perspective on this, given your own travels, your own career spanning the planet. It's it's quite impressive. You you talk about AEC.
0: Firstly, spell out what that means. Architectural engineering construction sector.
3: Okay. And secondly, there there are still some glaring gender gap differences in areas like engineering and construction. Can you pick out the statistical highlights of these disparities?
0: the last statistics i checked where it say that the engineering profession still has six to nine percent women it's extremely shocking in this day and age we have this level of disparity but on the other hand as women we play quite a bit of role we are mothers we are friends sisters and then we also has to have this hat of uh, working professionals so depending on the context i think it has a personal and professional demand and how we balance that is sometimes gets very challenging in the industry. I think one of the key aspects of really maintaining and being in the industry and while having a family, we have to actually redefine what our definition of success is. It's not just about support mechanisms and it's not just about having the right policies and orders. I work in Middle East and it's a very new country and they might not have all the policies but when i had a young child i had flexible working and i was working from home mostly with my young baby and this was not as part of any policy it was just taken as a something normal that i am an engineer and i have a baby so my work culture and everything kind of supported that level of support for me to carry on and uh, when i had a baby i went back to work when the baby was 4 months old and What I've noticed was what was made a lot of sense is there was no presentism in the office. I didn't really have to be physically be in the office as long as the deadlines are met, the meetings are attended. They didn't really bother whether I was working from Mars or UAE or London, which made a huge difference in the way I approached um, the work-life balance. So I think there's a couple of ways of addressing the gender gap and how we address it and how we work through it is quite important. And there is a role to be played by the government and through the policies, but also companies and also an empathetic leadership and conscious leadership, I think, is very important to support this.
3: We'll drill into the details of that. And one of the details is the statistic from the UK that says that, Women make up only 12.3% of the British construction workforce. That was in 2019. Do you think that figure could be even lower now, post-pandemic?
0: Well, there's two ways of looking at it. Pandemic has changed all of us immensely as human beings pandemics has also changed the way we do business before pandemic we wouldn't even imagine construction industry uh, working and surviving without face to face meetings and now zoom calls and team calls are like part of our life so i do think that there will be a shift happening in terms of way we do business and way way we perceive the industry and way we perceive how we handle projects but What the government and both the private and public sector need to be really, really aware of is that how do we take the learnings of the pandemic and really use it in a positive, conscious way. This percentage of 12.3% can drop very quickly if as businesses and policymakers and private sectors, if we do not learn from the pandemic what it has taught us, because pandemic has taught us flexibility. Pandemic has taught us we don't need to be present in a room to do design workshops and have brainstorming sessions. It has also taught us that in many parts of the world, drones are used for site visits. So you really don't need to do a site walkthrough. You can have your drone to do, take all the pictures, and um, you can prepare your site documents sitting from home. Now, I'm not saying this is going to 100% revolutionize the construction industry, but what it has shown us that it's changed the way we approach the industry and it has changed the way we approach our work culture. So the biggest lesson, the pandemic, if we can take away from something is how Work culture can be evolved and chained towards more of an equitable and more of a resilient and more of a mental sustainable working environment. My view on this is that there's a lot of learnings, and we really need to be conscious, and companies need to be much aware of how they are using the learning of the pandemic to really create a resilient business. And when I say resilient business, it is about the business model and how we function and what we deliver and how we deliver. I really think there is a big opportunity to rethink our traditional business models, traditional delivery models, to really create an equitable and more sustainable, resilient future for just for each of our businesses. And when each business comes forward in creating that mindset shift, that will actually create a um, big impact on our society and the way the whole construction industry works it starts from us in our home in our offices and for each of us and then it kind of reverberates together as a societal aspect
3: well i suppose it could be it could be that your personal story an example of that uh, you know you were working for home long before the pandemic because you had a baby you 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 know you you had to stay at home but you were able to still maintain your work within the industry you were able to hold meetings so is is that fair to say that
0: my case was a little bit different I worked (laughs) till I was eight and a half months pregnant I submitted my fellowship two days before I (laughs) delivered my own baby Um, but what I did was and everybody's situation is a little bit different when I was pregnant I made a conscious mindset that I would be going back to work in four and a half months time and I made that conscious decision because I was delivering four of the biggest projects in the Middle East and I was running a team. And I changed my definition of success. So my definition of success was uh, not to get all the lists in my office work done, but maybe 50% done, but also make some, some conscious time to be with my family. So I think it starts from us as human beings to redefine what success is when you have a young family and also have those conversations with our um, line managers and companies uh, to see what opportunities are there to explore and most time we will find that if we are open enough and we are quite clear and transparent then these conversations are taken very positively so in my case i i made that decision and yes i did have a moment of guilt like oh, Leaving my baby to go to work, but I realized I was actually in the office three hours a day. And the rest of the time, I was working from home, and I was there when my baby needed me. So that level of flexibility actually worked really well for me, and it, it also drove me because I was meeting my deadlines, but I was working in my own terms. So it didn't really matter what I was logging in nine p.m. or eleven p.m. to deliver a report. What mattered was that was more flexible for me, and it just worked out for me. So I think each person is different. and But my biggest lesson from my own life was that we really need to redefine what success is when we are young mothers or when when we have aging parents to look after and try to balance as best as possible and not try to achieve everything because the aim is to have a balanced life that actually makes each of us more conscious human being and happier.
3: Now, in, ter- in terms of education leading to careers in architecture, construction and engineering, the figures are striking regarding women, young women in particular, entering courses that would lead to careers in these sectors. Can you elaborate on these particular gender gaps?
0: So when I was working in UK, what I found is that my team, women who had a baby and just in the mid-career, that's when we see the biggest drop. So they would go for maternity leave for a certain period of time. And then coming back, they might find it a bit challenging. And also a support network in terms of family and training is required. And that's when we lose all the talented women. Now, it doesn't happen to everyone, but it happens to many people. And in my team, I started losing a lot of very talented women just after they took some time off to have a child and then coming back was quite difficult for them to balance childcare, financial support and everything. The cost of coming to city to do a job and going back and actually paying for childcare didn't really make sense. But this is just an example in the UK. But then there are other parts of the world where um, there are facilities created by the government or the companies to actually facilitate and retain those talent. So I think it's important for the companies to realize who they want to retain, why do they want to retain, that why factor is really, really important. And now there's a lot of conversation about environmental social governance. And I think one of the in- interesting and one of the most important factors, it really have some governance and social structure of how to retain talent in the industry. And I think that is quite key. How we do it, the policies, uh, the structure could be detailed out later. But having that intention of retaining good talents should be the first priority um, for any industry. And I think it doesn't just apply to women for men as well when they become young parents they all should be given that time and support to be with their young families. sometimes it's seen that that time is kind of lost and as a society i think we need to globally need to start giving more value to that time when we have a young baby at home and how we balance our personal life with giving and being present as a parent to this young life But in terms of
3: attracting the talent in the first place, i.e. from third level education or apprenticeships, how can we get women thinking about coming into architecture, construction, engineering to actually enter those courses leading to those sectors?
0: I think it starts from home and it starts from very early age. High school is too late. We really, as an industry, should start going to primary and uh, middle schools to actually having those conversations with the young children. I also think that our school system, our teachers also need support in having those conversations with their students. Um, I strongly feel that as an industry where we are working as architects, engineers, urban planners, we also have a role to play to support our teachers and our schools to go and spend that time and really th- speak to them about the leadership that they can play, especially we are in the middle of a climate emergency and all these professions have a very important role to play. So it's very important from an early stage in a children's education to start showing them the different sides and how impactful these professions are in making a positive change. Um, after high school and during pre-university, university level, I think mentorship and Internships are plays a very important role. Um, Opening up those opportunities in our own companies makes a huge impact, a societal impact, and uh, actually creating and that environment of taking young adults and youths to show project sites and the influence we can make as human beings to our society and our culture. I think that's extremely, extremely important. So the sowing of the seed starts in a very early stage. And I think it's responsibility of us as parents, us as construction experts working in the industry to actually support our school systems, our teachers, and opening up those internship opportunities for the young adults. And once they are graduated and there's an opportunity for them to then really bring them up in our graduate internship programs, it's a small little dots, chain effects that connects with each other. And I think um, when all of us makes that conscious, active effort to undertake these different points that I just mentioned, I think it will really, truly make an impact. Okay. I mean,
3: you're based in... UAE in Dubai and where like many Gulf states, there has been a huge expansion in construction and mass building projects over the last couple of decades. Uh, How does the region perform in terms of attracting women into the sector?
0: So when I moved here seven and a half years ago from UK, when I spoke to my peers, there was a bit of a negativity around it. And um, people thought that moving to UAE was not the right choice because it's not doing much on sustainability. And secondly, being a woman, it's definitely a bad choice. Um, I moved here seven and a half years ago as an experiment to see what um, the industry can offer and the fact that it wasn't in the sustainability realm really attracted me to actually find out because I truly believe that you must become the change you want to see in the world. And um, it's very easy to criticize a country or a society when we are not in it to say, oh, they could have done this better. But when you walk the talk and actually lead through change, I think we might actually find a way to make things better. So this was my intention to move to UAE seven and a half years ago. And then once I moved there, my mindset was completely changed. I saw there's so many women across the globe. So there's there's expats who are non-UAE citizens who are coming from globally, and they're working in Qatar, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, leading projects. I was very amazed to see how inclusive and diverse it was and how opportunities was opening up. But what was also interesting to see in the last few years is that how the government has shifted to a more equitable and gender balance. So the government announced a few years ago that they wanted to have a full gender balance of 50-50 male and female in all government entities. And very interestingly, within a few years' time, they have managed to do that. And if we dig deep in how they managed to do it, it's because they have been really promoting A C industry and education and scientific education to both girls and boys uh, in the same level. And what was also interesting to find is that the region has very specialized schools, which actually harnesses these young talents. So I think the education system has to be really strong. We really need to have good role models. They believe in role models and mentoring a lot. So there's a lot of mentoring programs and internship programs for different type of um, education from project management to architectural management to engineering, which is very, very positive. And I could see that when I came, there was a woman, but now the women, there's more women here um, from both the Emirati population as well as from abroad. So it's slow but it's visible change there is a shift happening. And I really wish that in next few years, we see more positive changes coming in the region because it's one of the region where there's a lot of construction happenings because there's a lot of, um, requirement and cities are developing. And having an inclusive workforce with women from different countries, men from different countries, bringing their own culture and knowledge is truly quite exceptional in creating something really beautiful and uh, a role model for future resilient cities.
3: I'm talking globally here. Is there a cultural bias regarding women being put off considering careers in the AEC sector? In other words, is building and construction's macho image, if you like, an off-putting factor?
0: Actually, you're absolutely right. There is a macho image to this industry, and that kind of puts off young girls and women to come in the industry. But if we look at the industry, there are women who are leading change. There are women who are doing project management work and construction work. So I think, as I mentioned before, it has to start from our families. The industry has an image, but the That image is actually built by humans and there is a way to change the image and the way we can do it is both men and women in the industry is actually going out and talking to teachers and young people and uh, primary school um, children to actually start telling them the stories of what we do as an industry. What we want is the children to be excited about building the next most sustainable city or next most sustainable bridge or really finding out uh, a very sustainable renewable material. What we want our children is eight to nine years old to really understand the concepts of circular economy and be the future leader for that. At the end of the day, why do we create cities? We create cities to make more livable, sustainable living for our future generation. So there are lots of stories that the industry has, which I think there's an opportunity for us to really share and really start that ripple effect.
3: And those stories you refer to include, obviously, a lot of female success stories in in the business? I mean, are they conveying those stories, those success stories at present enough?
0: Yes, there are role model events. There are role model conversation, but consciously we we need to make more a bit more effort. It can't be just a once a year event where I go to a school, but actually making an effort, giving something back to the society. Now,
3: in terms of closing the gender gap again, which other countries seem to be doing better
0: interesting, I'll share an experience with you. In Malaysia, when women take maternity leave, they only have three to four months of maternity leave. So women are geared towards knowing that in three to four months' time, they will go back to work. And that's how the culture works. If they do want to take a longer maternity break, that's fine. But everybody's kind of geared towards going back quite quickly. So you're not really out of touch from the industry. Um, this is what I found in when I went for maternity leave as well. Four months gap is nothing. And the construction industry doesn't change that quickly. But this is just a personal choice. It doesn't have to be that everyone's choice. But what I'm saying is that every country and every nation has a different way of um, conducting business. But at, as individual, I think we also need to understand what works for each of us. I think one of the biggest questions or challenges we face in the industry is the skill gaps. Are we losing the skills? Now, skills is something you don't really necessarily lose unless you're out of touch for a long period of time. So even if somebody doesn't go back to work that quickly, but they can still be upskilling themselves or learning new new information and keeping in touch with industry. So I think it kind of starts from a mindset shift. In Malaysia, we don't lose much women from the construction industry at all. And uh, most women who go away for three, four months or six months, they come back and they, they rejoin, which I found was extremely positive. In Middle East, what I find is that, again, the maternity leave can be from four months to eight months. And coming back to work, your job is secured. And it feels like that you have gone away for a little while and coming back and the environment kind of adopts and helps to support any support this person might need. I think it's a cultural thing. It's also a technical thing. And it's also business perspective as well. And it links back to the first point. I say that the businesses really have to have a conscious leadership in identifying who they want to retain, why they want to retain talent. And I think that's a very important question. Um, If a business really wants to retain talent, they will find ways to do it if the businesses are not very conscious about it they might have the right intentions but not consciously taking effort and doing it then it might slip off of other things that the businesses have to do so i think a conscious and balanced leadership is extremely important from a leadership perspective and it has to trickle through from top to the bottom of the company
3: in your vast experience uh, around the world do you think the ceos of major construction, engineering, architectural firms get it in terms of the need to close the gender gap and bring much more numbers of women into the business?
0: Interestingly, during pandemic times, there's a lot of leadership books was uh, published. Most of the leadership books was talking about changing the business model, shifting the business model. So now globally, there's a huge shift on environmental social governance. And if we break it down, um, it starts on a, on a suit level and if you break it down, what the social impact and social governance is, it's not just few policies or trainings that a company is doing. It's actually shifting the business model. So if the CEOs are not currently aware of it, pretty soon they need to become aware of this, how societal change and how their companies are performing in terms of retaining talents and actually addressing this, not as a challenge, but as an opportunity. And I think also the conversation about gender gap kind of needs to shift off looking at it from what are the opportunities we can create for these women to come into the industry and what are the opportunities we can create to minimize the gap? I think we might need to shift the question in a different way and address it in a different way. So it's not a problem that we are trying to solve because we've been doing it for 20 years and it still hasn't been solved. Perhaps the question is now, what are the opportunities we can create around this gap that we see and what is the business value? What is the societal value? What is the governance value? So perhaps we really need to, as a society, to have a mindset shift and actually think about it much consciously and really have the intention to solve it, not to bypass it or not to keep it for the next generation to resolve it. Because if we don't set a KPIs of solving this gender diversity, if we don't set a KPI as a government and a company level, what level we want to see, it's very hard to define success. We really need to um, define success And failure, and I wouldn't say failure, like an opportunity of growth uh, in a company level and also a societal level, and also of how we address this challenge. It's an opportunity for us to really look at it, and especially in the midst of a climate emergency where there's a lot of things are happening. A lot of professionals are required. There's a really opportunity to turn this around. Uh, but in order to do that, we all need to co-create. We all need to collaborate. We all need to work together to do that.
3: On to an area I know that's very important to you, and that is the push towards a greener net zero emission based industry. Do you see more women entering the construction, engineering, architectural sector around the world as an impetus towards that goal? And do more women in the industry enable businesses to move towards a greener future?
0: So the first part of the question is, yes, more women are entering the industry. There is more opportunities. More generalists are now entering into the industry, taking courses. And because construction sector, especially the sustainability sector, is so diverse. So there are so many roles to play, so many stories to tell, and there's so much work to be done. So yes, there is happening globally. The challenge is we really want to retain this talent, and that's where the companies, the both private and public sector, have to come together to make a conscious plan of how do we retain the talent. Now the second part of your question is, um, will the women help to move towards a greener future? I think it's men, women together um it we really require co-creative environment collaboration and diverse thinking to resolve climate emergency it's not just uh women or it's not just men it's together so we really need to create that co-creation mindset women have a diverse way of thinking and doing and it shows in their work, in their way of being. Not necessarily to say men don't do that.
3: On this International Women's Day, do you see the gender gap issue, both in terms of employment and indeed wages in sectors like engineering and building, a feminist equality issue?
0: I think it's an opportunity that we shouldn't miss. It's an opportunity where we really have to take the grasp and co-create the future that we have been talking about for all these years. It's an opportunity, especially in the verge of climate and biodiversity emergency, where there's a lot of roles open, a lot of things to do. Every city is now putting a path towards net zero and decarbonization. There is an opportunity to actually create that societal change to really address this issue of gender diversity, inclusion, and equity. So... When we talk about creating a sustainable, resilient future, we're essentially talking about what we say, the five capital model of sustainability, the natural capital and the social and human capital, and then the manufacturing and financial capital. So if we address the work we have to do as an industry, then this is a huge opportunity for all of us to come and work together and really put some action plan towards it so we can measure what success is and how we can achieve that in a more co-creative and collaborative way. I really wish in a one year's time we wouldn't be having this conversation again. <laughs> because um but it's going to take more than one
3: year, yeah. It's going to take know. more than one year.
0: Yes. And I really wish that um when the industries both private and public sector putting their next year's plan together, they really take an approach of conscious leadership to address these challenges and really look at how it can be converted into opportunities. And our next generation shouldn't be, I hopefully, not talking about this and might be more talking about how to solution more about climate emergency and how we are already in a position where we are working more collaboratively to address those challenges.
1: This is Constructive Voices. So, Pete, we've heard Farah there talking about her experience and bringing some amazing insights, as our guests always do. And, you know, there's a big mountain to climb, but there's a, a huge amount of things that can be done by everybody in, in the construction industry and wider society to really tie into this International Women's Day theme of calling out gender bias where it's seen and as we as we're putting this episode out on International Women's Day let's all focus on it today
2: yeah 100% steve look it's like anything when you when you get to hear and you, you get to get the perspective from somebody who's experienced something you know, you think you know about something until you actually hear it and you you, you get the, the proper insight and the proper knowledge and I suppose the proper feeling to what's going on. And I, like, I think that's kind of what I'm taking out of this. Like I do work with a lot of females in, in, in work and, and in, in different aspects of, of life. And even in our podcast here, we have uh, Jackie, who is, is the, the, the main lady involved and the, and the, and the main spine within the, the whole podcast. So I found it really interesting. I, I, I'm definitely going to take something out of this. You know, I am I, I do think from listening that there's there's the obvious bias, there's the obvious stuff that we all see. You you know, once you see it or hear it, you can be kind of fairly cognant of it and you can kind of say to yourself, right, that's wrong. It's well worth stepping in and, and, and holding your hand up and saying, listen, this isn't this isn't right. Calling it out, correcting it on the spot is definitely something that has to be done. But I also do feel that there's probably a bit of a silent bias going on that, that I probably haven't, you know, I'm not aware of as much. And it, it's quite obvious there to me now that, you know, there's, there is... A lot of su- subtle simple stuff going on that is not right you know like simple stuff like you know just not being able to get workloading that suits females because you know it's it's all dominated towards towards male sizes these type of things is uh, need to be taught about and I suppose i'm I suppose I wasn't really aware of them until I, I heard some stuff being said there today and it's the subtle stuff in the background that we need to look at as well as the obviously the the, the real obvious stuff that we need to call out you know.
1: In these discussions and in these solutions, the women need to be part of that solution, not men thinking we can fix this for them.
2: Yeah, it goes without saying. Like you know, you 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 wouldn't ask a carpenter to try and solve a plumbing situation, you know. So it is the exact same thing. You need to you need to speak to the right person to to come up with the right solutions. You know, one hundred and thirty five years, Steve, is what we started off saying. Is is the at the moment, the calculated period of time before this gender gap issue looks as though it's going to be resolved. That is too long. We we need to reduce that. You know that's just not acceptable. It's too long of a period of time. We we need we need to address these issues. We need to address them. We need to address them soon. We need to take on board the the, the points and the issues that were raised. Let's go positive uh, on this now and let's start taking on board what's being said and let's move in in a positive direction for everybody involved and you know, let's get the input um, into the construction industry so that we can move forward as an industry, both in our technology, both in how we do things, but also in how we behave and and how we can help break down biases and break down these gender issues that have been going on for so long. So the next time a lady walks by a building site, a lot of lads shouldn't be whistling, wolf whistling across the road. To be honest with you, the foreman man should be running over and asking her, you know how can she input and how can she come on board and help us out with the, with the job and join the team of men and women that are already in construction. I keep on saying it we need more people in construction, so ladies, if you're listening to this, please come on board we we need you on board and, and you will benefit from it as well, and the industry will benefit for it as well because one hundred and thirty five years Dave I don't think i'm going to be around to see that, so I'd like to see a few a few advances there.
1: Doing in the meantime, I don't know. We, we could still be around. We've talked about robotics and stuff in previous episodes, so <laughs> you never know. We, we could still be around in 135 years in, in some sort of form. The thing <laughs> is, though, Pete, and you know, this is sort of a semi serious point, but I mean, it's people like you who can help to drive this change because um, not only are you in construction, and we've talked about the fact that you've been in construction, you know, since you were a kid pretty much, um, but because you have this dual world of working in the media as well, and you know, being a media lovey, you'll know that. Um, Um, You know, women are very much a part of that industry. So as we've talked about in previous episodes, bringing in people and talents from other industries will have those different perspectives. And perhaps there are some industries where women are already driving change and have always been part of the discussion. So we need that input as well, don't we?
2: Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, we need perspectives from from all of uh, any area or any gender or any group of people who are being inhibited in any way we need their contributions on board i'm looking forward to it. i'm definitely going to start trying to do a little bit more myself I, I already you know i i've got a got a a girl who who's who's going to be doing some work experience with me um over the next two weeks as well she she wants to be a carpenter so I, i've no bother at all bringing her on board and, and giving her a bit of experience on site and i'm looking forward to that happening small things like that help but you know there's there's definitely a bigger Uh, challenge ahead and as always in construction we face these challenges and we get over them and i think this is definitely a challenge that we will we will get over in the construction industry because it's a big missing link within our industry at the moment and it's time to change it now
1: excellent we would love you to share this episode and add your voice to the discussion as well for international women's day uh using that uh, hashtag that they're using hashtag break the bias pete as always brilliant speaking to you we'll talk next time Cheers, Steve. That's all for this episode. Next time, we'll be talking about a construction worker that should certainly not have or be subject to gender bias. Robots will be joined by two construction industry robotics experts. Find out more at constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. And find us on social media. Please follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get episodes automatically. And if you can, share, rate and review the podcast That would be brilliant too. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something.